this should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local, this is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live on 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. Take a walk on the wild side and get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world-famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7 The Game. And welcome, everyone, to the Must Listen To Saturday Morning Sports Talk Show in all of Acadiana under the dome. With CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game, 1037thegame.com. And ladies and gentlemen, we are coming to you live, as always, from the 103.7 The Game studios. And I am absolutely beyond hype. You know, because, well, it's the most perfect time of the year if you're a fan of football. Because football season's over. I know everybody's kind of like, oh, man, we're not going to have football for a while. We got a few more months before spring ball gets here, National Signing Day in the books, and everybody's definitely feeling like this. Where's my football? Well, your football isn't too far behind here, just a few short hours away from one of the most the three most important letters, as I talked about it with my Ben Love on yesterday's show. There's three letters and three letters only you should be paying attention to this weekend and the next several weeks. And I'm going to let one man say it for you. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the XFL. You heard it right. The XFL officially back. The season starts this afternoon. The first game going to be at 2 o'clock. The Seattle Dragons and the D.C. Defenders. Who's going to come out on top in the inaugural game of the rebooted XFL? Some suggest that the NFL stands for the No Fun League. The XFL is going to be the Extra Fun League. And I cannot wait for it. But there's one other thing that's kind of popped up. And, you know, I wanted to open up the show, have a little fun, talk about the return of the XFL, what's been going on with it, the rules, some of the cool stuff that's going on with it. And I'm going to talk about it a lot in the last half hour of the program. But I wanted to open it up with it because it's absolutely just entertaining. It's all get out to me. But, of course, just when you think, you know, you get a new manager in Dusty Baker, a new GM in James Click. By the way, I like that hire a lot more than I do Dusty Baker because I feel like that's more of a long-term decision instead of short-term booking, if you will. That being said, it just feels like every time we try and start moving away from the Astros, a science ceiling, spring training coming up, so undoubtedly it's going to become a talking point again. But, my goodness... Everything that was talked about last night, if you didn't check out the MLB Network last night, you might have missed out on probably one of the best interviews early in this 2019. And what am I talking about? Well, I'm talking about what's causing all this, and that is the interview with former Astros manager A.J. Hinch. And there was a teaser that came out on Thursday night kind of getting you hyped up for getting you an idea of what this whole thing is going to be about. And the question was asked, Is the was the World Series title tainted? And here's A.J. Hinch's thoughts on that. We'll kind of really 
jump off on this point here? It's a fair question, and and I think everyone's going to have to draw their own conclusion. I hope over time and the demonstration with the talents of the, of this team, the players, the the careers that are that are being had, we have some of the best players in the entire sport all together on the same team. I hope over time it's proven that it wasn't, but I understand the question. It's a fair question, and people are going to have to draw their own conclusions. Unfortunately, we opened that door as a group, and that question I may never be answered. We may never know, and we're going to have to, to live and move forward and be better. Unfortunately, no one can really answer that question. I, I can't pinpoint what advantages or what, what, what happened or what exactly would have happened otherwise, but we did it to ourselves. And they did do it to themselves. And, you know, this entire thing is an absolute mess when you just look at the entire story from top to bottom. The fact that A.J. Hinch got fired due to this made sense. And now you kind of wonder what's going to happen next. And, again, that that question about is the Astros World Series title tainted, everybody kind of was breaking that down. And there was another question that got brought up later on. I'm kind of looking at some of the key quotes and takeaways from this in my notes. And one of those is how much of an advantage did the Astros hitters gain from that scheme? Andy Mitchin Hinge did to Tom Verducci of the MLB Network. Again, check this out. It's out on YouTube right now. You get I, I highly recommend you check it out just to get a further idea of how much help, how much like of a controversy this is. Because you know I knew about it. I, it felt like you know there was some truth to it, but after watching the the video that they put out, it is absolutely. I blatantly clear that they did have it, but it didn't necessarily helped them like quite as much as you might think. But of course, Hinchers said, I can't pinpoint what advantages or what happened or exactly what happened otherwise, but we did it to ourselves. And, you know, I think there was a clip in particular where they showed it, and you were hearing the banging of the trash can. It was among, against the Chicago White Sox, and they were taking on Danny Farquhar, former Raging Cajun. Definitely kind of interesting correlation there. But when it comes down to it, every time they banged on the trash can, like, uh, Gaddis was still swinging. And this was in 2017. And that's what was going on. Like, So did it actually give them a true, quote-unquote, advantage? Did this help them to, like, run through opponents roughshod through that 2017 World Series season and beyond? In some cases, I'd agree. Go look at 2019. Go look at that... Especially early on in the season, that home road split was rough. I mean, the first opening season, they were losing to the Tampa Bay Rays, a team that just did not feel like they were going to be the contenders that maybe they kind of were, especially in the AL wildcard race. I think this is going to be where they'll be for a while is the fact that the Yankees are absolute monsters and everybody else is kind of in that mix. One of the other questions that was asked was, how do you feel about a former player of yours, Mike Fires? And, of course, Mike Fires is definitely the big whistleblower in all this. And Hinch said, I haven't spent a lot of time focusing on the emotional side of the reaction to Mike telling the story and getting this message out. I wish we would have that environment and a culture that was better for him to have come to me in a real in real time. Why, that's a real question that I feel like we should be asking Like Mike Fires in spring training and going forward. Why didn't you approach you know, A.J. Hinch about this from Jump Street instead of waiting until after you got traded to whistleblow the entire situation? Or, di- or maybe Mike Fires will flip him around. He did talk to him about it, and that winds up causing a whole lot of other problems. That AJ Hinch was well aware of it and didn't do a damn thing about it. He was aware of it. He just 
and he said in hindsight, he admitted it during the interview as well, was the fact that he actually could have done something about it and told him and basically shut the whole thing down very, very early. And if they did do that, they ended this fairly early. Like, let's say once the banging of the trash cans happened and you saw him break the TV at least once, that should have been a signal to everybody. Stop doing this crap. This is unacceptable. This is against every rule of the game. This is exposing the business. This is the wrong way to go about it. I'd agree with that. I think that would have been the right thing to do. And he he absolutely admitted he regretted the fact he did not take action. He was very passive with it when he should have been more aggressive towards that and said, hey, if I, if any of y'all are doing this crap, y'all are going to be traded, cut from the team. I don't care who you are. There should have been just no holes barred to make sure that everybody in that locker room knows we're not dealing with this BS anymore. This was unacceptable the way when we did it the first time. This is unacceptable now. It's time to move on and not do it. And then one other big question was asked was, you know, the commissioner's office looked into it and there was no buzzers that were used according to everybody else. And I think this is the most interesting text of it all, just in terms of the quote. We got investigated for three months. The commissioner's office did as thorough of an investigation as anyone could imagine was possible. And I'm not disagreeing with that statement. I know you mentioned about the emails and the texts and the messages, and I believe it. And, of course, this is talking about the ones that were examined during the investigation. I agree with that statement wholeheartedly. So I'm interested, again, I am entirely interested to see what's going to happen with A.J. Hinch in 2020 and going forward. What's going to happen with the Astros this year? Because it just feels like everything about the sign-stealing scandal continues to keep bleeding over into this season. you got pitchers and catchers reporting before long for the MLB spring training. Spring training going to be starting right around Mardi Gras. There will This storyline will never truly go away. It will continue to be a thing that you look at and you read about and you'll wind up ta- hearing and you'll probably wind up seeing, especially the – somebody brought this up – every player on that team should get pegged by every team in the MLB. No. If that happens, that is an absolute travesty to the MLB. Like, I understand that you broke a rule, a cardinal rule, an unwritten rule, which there are a lot of unwritten rules in baseball that really burn my beans. But honestly, I'm just sick and tired of the fact everybody wants to see this, see the Astros just get completely reamed over hot coals and be handed the death penalty. I'm sorry, but the death penalty ain't happening with the way the CBA is. That being said, don't be surprised if Rob Manfred's talking with the MLBPA as we speak and saying, especially after the Wall Street Journal report came out, and interesting names to say the least, when it comes to something, according to the report by Jared Diamond, Luna was approached by a team intern in 2016 with a presentation based on an Excel-based application, application excuse me, that could decode signs from opposing catchers. And the program is named Codebreaker and was routinely referred to as dark arts amongst the Astros employees per a previously undisclosed letter Rob Manfred sent to the team. And Manfred called the cheating scandal player driven in his report, but the report from Diamond doubts on that notion, demonstrating that Lunau and the analytics team were in on the efforts as well. And, you know, I have to, I, at first I'm kind of like, I'm chuckling at the, the fact that there's a something called Codebreaker 
I was like, what, what's next? Are we, it, did the Astros use the Judas effect? Did the Astros use the walls of Jericho? Because to me, it's just absolutely ridiculous that we're talking about this still going on. When honestly, let's, 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 not, let's not sugarcoat it. This has been going on for quite some time. People just do not realize, especially I'd probably say in the MLB, how much this has probably has been going on for a long time. In fact, it was something that came out like almost, I think no more than 24 hours after the fact from WFNZ. And this was a former pitcher, I believe for the White Sox back in the day. And he talked in detail about what Tony La Russa was doing when it comes, when it came to sign stealing. And this is back, like, let's say in the eighties and nineties, we had a system in old Comiskey park in the late eighties. Gatorade sign out in right center had a light. There was a toggle switch in the manager's office and a, in a, a, a camera zoomed in on the catcher. Mm. Okay. I'm going to whistle blow this now because I'm getting tired of this crap. There's that. There was that. Tony Arusa is the one who put it in. He was also the head, the first team of all the people doing steroids. Yet he's still in the game making half a million. You know, mm. no one, no one's going to go after that. It's just it's the stuff's getting old where they target certain guys and let other people off the hook and you know like the media doesn't know that this all happened was going on everybody knows everybody who's been around the game knows all this stuff why all of a sudden it became a big thing I have no idea again that was um, uh, Jack McDowell the former pitcher most notably for the Chicago White Sox also spent some time with the Yankees the the Tribe and the Anaheim Angels, then it was Anaheim, then now it's the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. That's a different story for a different day. But still, we're sitting here in 2020, February 8th, right before spring training, and continuing to have stuff come out about the Astros scandal. We're still sitting here in 2020, and we're still seeing a lot of stuff come out about this. I just wish this storyline would kind of wrap up as soon as possible. That's why I can't wait for spring training. When the pitchers and catchers and everybody else starts reporting, that's when we'll hear from the players. And I will gladly play that sound until the cows come home because I want to hear the statement from the players. If it's going to bury what's going on, what is going to bury what was said in that interview yesterday on the MLB Network. Tom Verducci, by the way, conducted that interview with a lot of class and handled that like, Absolutely perfectly. It was damn near cerebral what he was able to do with that interview. If you haven't checked it out, it's on YouTube right now. It'll be Network put it out for free. Go check it out when you get a chance. I absolutely loved it because it's just one of those. I love hearing a lot of interviews and watching these interviews and seeing A.J. Hinch be almost humanized after being labeled a cheater and pretty much put into MLB jail for a whole year possibly for longer because I don't know if any other manager is going to, if any other organization is going to want him as the manager after the cheating scandal. But that's a different conversation for a different day, but enough about baseball. I got enough time to kind of fill some spots about the 2020 class for the Cajuns and LSU. I give you an idea about three players from both teams that I think will make a splash in 2020, meaning they'll make an immediate impact We'll talk about that next, and then at 9.30, I originally wrote down at 10.30 when I sent in the sent in the rundown, but we're talking to Eric Lopez of Fast Pitch News and In the Circle Podcasts, college softball starting up in earnest, so why not talk about it with a guy like Eric Lopez, and then the last half hour of the show, giving the hot tag to the good brother, Alan Michael, yes, we're bringing him back on the program. 
We'll be back after this on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Under the Dome with CD is a show for all the degenerates out there. You make your rules and we will break them. Let's get back to the famous CD who will break it all down for us. Yeah. On 1037 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game, 1037thegame.com. Live, as always, from the 1037 The Game studios. If you want to call us up right now, we got a few minutes. 337-706-0111. Eric Lopez joined the program at 930 to the final half hour. It's all me and Alan Michael talking about what's causing all this. And, of course, we're talking about the XFL, the three most important letters to talk about today. But there's other great letters to talk about that includes LSU and also UL. We're talking about those raging Cajuns. I'm looking forward to talking about the 2020 National Signing Class and not necessarily breaking it down chapter and verse, but right here, right now, I'm going to drop an early kind of projection for three players that I think will make a big splash in their freshman year. And I'll start things off with the LSU Tigers. Eric Gilbert, tight end, this guy is a five-star. He's already enrolled at LSU. So, honestly, that already gives him a head start over the other two guys that I've mentioned. I think this guy absolutely has every chance to be a star, largely because of the fact that Thaddeus Smallis, he's making his way over to the pros, going to apply his trade in the NFL draft this year. You can about imagine the... LSU Tigers want to use the tight end position a lot more going forward. So with that in mind, I think Eric Gilbert has a chance to be an absolute monster. LSU is going to continue to utilize that offense, the tight end, in the offense like they did last year with Joe Brady at the helm. Whoever's going to be the, the passing game coordinator is definitely going to want to emphasize that, and I think the slinger is definitely going to be the guy to say, hey, we're going to continue to use the tight end in this sense. At least I would hope so. Flipping over to the defensive side of the football, Jaquellen Roy is going to be something to keep an eye on. The defensive tackle, regardless of it's a, if it's a 3-4 or a 4-3, he'll be a key cog in the long run on the defensive line with Bo Pelini now the defensive coordinator. I would not be surprised if he winds up being a starter, if not that second string where he's in that too deep and they continually rotate him in and out with somebody. Again, the fact that it's a 4-3 definitely helps matters. But I think if it was in a 3-4 like it was with Dave Aranda, that defense would have him used quite a bit. They'd still use him a lot. Because guess what? These big uglies, they get gassed because the fact you're out there on the field, especially in the summer months, where you're still seeing temps in the 80s and 90s, almost into October. You need to have these guys fresh and ready to go for that for that stretch run if you're going to want to win a national championship. So having a guy like Quellen Roy is absolutely huge. The third guy when it comes to LSU is Kayshawn Butte, the Westgate product. To me, he'll be a lot like Peter LeBlanc was in his freshman year for the Cajuns this past season. I'll get to the Cajuns in a minute. But when it comes to the, it comes to the LSU Tigers, 
they've lost a lot of that wide receiver core from this past season. The fact you also lost to Stephon Sullivan definitely hurts matters as well. Don't get don't get it twisted. But having those guys gone, now that opens up a lot of different things. That opens up a lot of different storylines. And you wind up seeing what could happen down the line. What's going to happen with LSU's wide receiver core? What's going to happen with that offense? Will it just revert back to the old ways because of the fact you don't have like a true absolute power? Where where do you go from here? is the real million-dollar question. And then when it comes to the Cajuns, there's quite a few guys that I'm just like immediately kind of drawn to. One of those, Kyron Lacey out of Thibodeau, a wide receiver, 6'2", 2'10". I think this guy has every chance to make a splash, and I brought up Peter LeBlanc earlier. Peter LeBlanc is an absolute stud, and he's going to be out there with Brandon Lejean. I wouldn't be surprised if the freshman out of Thibodeau could very well be one of those guys that gets into the mix a lot in 2020 because he's just got that ability. He's got the absolute ability to do some awesome stuff. And then another guy I think we got to bring up is Trey Amos out of Catholic High, New Iberia. He's absolutely been phenomenal on all different sides of the ball. Where wherever Trey Amos goes, that that side of the ball will will thrive. I, could he be a defensive back? We'll see. I think there's a lot of different things you can use with him. And the final guy is one they recently signed. Got the letter of intent on Wednesday. And we're talking about Mason Narcisse, three-star defensive tackle out of St. Charles. Again, a lot of local products on Billy Napier's crew. And I like that. I love that. And, you know, one of the big things we complained about for a while when it comes to the former regime with Mark Hudson is the fact that we saw a lot less of talent. We saw a lot less talent from the boot. We saw a lot more from Mississippi because that was the inroads that HUD made, and HUD never really strayed away from that unless there was somebody really, really good like a Braylon Trahan out there. We didn't see him necessarily attack the boot as much as maybe we would we would have liked. That's my biggest gripe with what the Cajuns did towards the end of the Mark Hudspeth era. Now we're going to start seeing Billy Napier's elements, and we're going to start seeing these Louisiana boys make a lot of noise. We're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout. We'll be back with a whole lot more. Eric Lopez joined the program to talk some softball next on 103.7 The Game. Most sports radio shows go up to 10 on the amp. But Under the Dome with CD goes one higher. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These guys are 11. Now, back to the show that brings the heat on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game. Well, Mr. Burns had done it. The power plant had won it, with Roger Clemens clucking all the while. Mike Sosha's tragic illness made us smile. While Wade Boggs lay unconscious on the barroom tile, we're talking softball. Oh, we're talking softball right now on Acadiana Sports Station 103.7 The Game. We're not talking Mattingly. We're not talking Canseco. We're definitely not talking about Griffey's. Grotesquely swollen jaw or Steve Sachs running with the law. We're talking actual college softball 
it is finally back in our lives, and we're talking about it now with our guy, Eric Lopez of Fast Pitch News and also the In the Circle podcast. Eric, what's going on, man? It's going well, my friend. It's uh, a beautiful weekend, first weekend of college softball, and uh, it's, it's a great time of year. It's a great time of year, and I think I want to start things off more on the local tip because I think there's a, just a lot of things that intrigue me right here, right now. I think, obviously, we start with the Ragin' Cajuns. You have, finally, we've talked about it for years, about the fact that we haven't necessarily had the true number two for the Cajuns. That winds up helping you out a lot down the road when you're playing in the postseason and you're playing these regionals and super regionals to have that number two ready to go. Now there's a chance you could have that with Summer Ellison and Megan Kleist, the grad transfer from Oregon, finally making your way to the heart of Cajun country. What can you say about the Cajuns, especially with their pitching staff this year? Well, I think the question now is not like, do they have a number two? The question is, who's the number one? Uh, you could argue you've got co-number ones with Megan Kleist. You know, that was to make, to me, what I was looking forward to seeing was on opening day. How would she look after obviously sitting out a year? And she looked tremendous getting a save and then a shutout win. She looked dominant. And now all of a sudden with Kleist and Summer Ellison, that is as good of a one-two punch as you will see in the country. Uh, you know, I spoke to Jerry Glasgow, obviously, during the preseason, prior to the season starting. He, he told me Kleist was looking great, sharp. Um, to me, there's is the most uh, I, I, the, the Cajuns are a team that has got a lot of excitement, a lot of hype, and rightfully so. I think they're a world, women's college world series contender. I'm picking them to go to the women's college world series. They have everything you need. They've got the pitching now. Summer Ellison doesn't have to carry the load. If anything, I expect her and Megan Kleist to split it. And then you've got an offense that, when I talk to Jerry, he feels he's got up to twelve to thirteen good hitters, and he's got to figure out how to put them all in in, in a ninth, you know, in a lineup. So there's going to be some good hitters on the bench. I think he's got depth, he's got quality, and I think with, uh, to me, they are in for a big year. Now they he's challenged himself with a very tough non-conference schedule. So we're going to learn more about them in the coming weeks when the schedule beats up. But uh, if I was a Cajun fan, uh, this is probably the most excited I've been about the program. I would be excited probably in a, in a number of years. I think there's just plenty of reason to be excited. And you brought up the fact they've got a tough non-conference slate. I think that's what you've got to do, especially if you're a mid-major. Yes, you're a mid-major, almost semi-blue blood, if you look at the Raging Cages, the way they've been consistently making the NCAA tournament when it's all said and done. But when you're a group of five program like the Cajuns, you've got to schedule tough if you want to try and do what's most important, that's hosting a regional and potentially a super regional, depending on how you do. Absolutely. I mean, you look at last year, for example, the Cajuns didn't host. They had to go to Oxford and lost on a walk-off in the regional. And part of the reason was because their non-conference schedule was weak. And Jerry understood that. And I think Jerry's like, you know what? I'm not going to take those chances. I'm not going to assume that the Sun Belt will be improved because the Sun Belt was down last year. And he's just going to take it in his own hands. And, boy, he's done that with the non-conference schedule. And you're right. The way the sport has been with the growing interest in the facilities and the fan supports, it's harder to win a road regional now than it used to be, say, 10, 20 years ago. I would say over 95%, in fact, the last few years, 95% of host teams have gone on to win their regional slash super regional. So uh, if you want to get to Oklahoma City, odds are you want to hit the top eight bar. And I think the thing that Jerry's got going for them is if they can win some of those non-conference games, they're going to play at Florida for a three-game series. They're going to play Texas. They're going to play Florida State. 
uh, just to name a few, that's just a, just a little small sample. But if they win enough of those non-conference games and then dominate the Sun Belt like everybody expects, they're going to be in position to be in a top eight seed and for sure will be a top 16 seed in hosting. But they're a legitimate threat for Oklahoma City, which, as you know, I mean, that's been a while since we've said that about the Cajuns. Let's be honest about it. Uh, probably going back to 2014. Exactly. Going back to 2014, they haven't been able to kind of hit, they've been keep hitting that wall in the last couple of years that have been hitting the wall of LSU and then they hit the wall against Ole Miss. I think we brought it up earlier, the fact that you have two pitchers now that can wind up being, you brought it up, it's who's the number one? It's a 1A, 1B type situation when it comes to starting pitching. That's going to help you out a lot down the road when you're playing in Sunbelt Tournament in the month of May and it's probably going to help you out a lot just in terms of overall health of the, the pitching staff, because I think if you wind up having somebody like a Summer Ellison pitch, let's say 90% of the games, that's going to hurt you a lot in the regional matchup. So now that you have that 1A, 1B type situation, that helps you out a lot in the game of, in the game of softball. But right now, talking with Eric Lopez, Fast Pitch News and In the Circle podcast, let's flip it over to the LSU Tigers right now. 2-0, took down number 13 ranked Oklahoma State last night, one nothing and opened up the season with a really interesting 3-2 win over Central Arkansas. What do you say about two games in, the LSU Tigers and Beth Rina's crew? It's been interesting to, to how she's handled the pitching staff. She started Shelby Sinceri in that uh, Central Arkansas game and then Wickersham against Oklahoma State. But the thing I found interesting is Allie Component. I interviewed Coach Tarina a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about her pitching staff, and I didn't mention Allie by name, and Beth corrected me very quickly. <laughs> and she said, no, she's going to have a big role. And so far she's proven to be correct because Allie's been used as the closer role and saved both games. So that's been really fascinating to me. Offensively, they're not clicking yet. Part of the reason for that, they're very young, especially in the infield. Amanda Doyle is the only real experienced returner in the infield, and they are moving her from first to third base. I know that's the big question mark over there is that young infield and how do they mesh. And then, to, and then you got an outfield with certainly a lot of good speed and athleticism. But you know, who's going to protect Shelby Sincera? I think she's a star player. She's one of the best two-way players in the country. Probably an underrated player. Uh, can pitch and obviously can hit for power. But who's going to protect her in the lineup with Amanda Sanchez graduating? Is it going to be Amanda Doyle? Is it going to be one of the new faces? I think that's the question with LSU. But I like the Tigers. The thing about that Torina teams is they usually peak later in the year. So you don't get don't get too caught up in how, what you see from them in the first few weeks because she tends to try different things and they try, their goal is to peak at the end of the year and make the run to the World Series like they've done in the past and I expect no different here. I think they've got great depth pitching wise with Gore, you know, you got Gorish who hasn't even pitched yet. She's going to pitch, and you've got Wickersham and Sonseri, and then all of a sudden, Ali Component might be a dominant closer. That could be a real dominant pitching. Will they find it off offense? Will be the key. It's going to be fun because, as you know, over there in that neck of the woods, next weekend, LSU and Louisiana for the first time, you know, in two decades, will be playing in the regular season, a home and home on a weekend, which should be electrified. But I think LSU is a team that will peak later in the year once the infield has experience and some of their offensive players kind of step in and grow and uh, have more confidence and help Shelby Sinceri run that offense. You were kind of sneaking a peek at my notes there, Eric. That's kind of where I wanted to go next, put these two teams together. LSU and Raging Cajuns going to be taking each other on on the 15th at Lampson Park. Then the Cajuns will make their way over to Tiger Park. How, how great is it the fact that we get to see these two teams 
face-off in the regular season in a home-and-home type atmosphere. That It's absolutely – it's about damn time. Well said. <laughs> uh, it's tremendous. I think it's great. A credit to both coaches, uh, for Jerry to reaching out, and a credit to Beth Tarina. I mean, Jerry told me, Jerry, that – Beth didn't have to take this. They don't need this series, per se. They already play a tough non-conference schedule, but they chose to do it because it's good for them and it's good for the sport and it's good for the state with the popularity in the sport in this state. And it just shows that there's a good relationship there with the both programs, with obviously a vet Gerard right in the middle, having been the head coach at both programs, and really does, obviously, as you know, color commentary for both uh, statewide. So I, I think that this is a great thing. I've talked to Coach Gerard. She's excited about it. I'm not sure what she's going to be wearing. Uh, I would assume she'll be doing commentary, but I don't know. She, they might find some neutral clothes for her or not. But it should be an electric atmosphere, and I think it's fantastic to see both schools play. And it's good to see. And I don't know what it is, guy, Clint, but for whatever reason, in softball, more real, you know, LSU and Louisiana and other rivalries throughout the country, they seem to figure things out and play on the field where, as you know, in other sports, that's not necessarily the case. And I know that's been a little volatile at times between LSU and Louisiana and other sports as far as playing during the regular season. But here in softball, they've put it together. They're going to play a home-and-home. And I think secretly, I think both sides hope they play in the regular season because that way they can maybe force the, the committee to not pair them up in the postseason like they <laughs> tend to do in the regionals. Exactly. That's I think is what you want to do. It talk right now with Eric Lopez, and you know, just looking at this matchup down the road, it's like next weekend. It's just the fact everything is setting up. You brought it up perfectly. How it's like there's some volatility about these two teams playing each other in other sports. Mind you, not so much in baseball, which I absolutely love the fact that they're playing each other now in softball and baseball now. I think a lot more, you brought it up perfectly, with Glasgow and Yvette Gerard acting as the middle person in this whole situation, kind of being able to be welcomed back with open arms at Yvette Gerard Field at Lamson Park, which, trust me, it's weird for her to even think about that. And she's going to be calling that game, I believe, on next weekend that, which, at Lamson Park. It's going to be weird seeing that. I think she's qualified to call that series, yes. don't you? <laughs> oh, not a doubt in my mind. She's qualified to call any series she damn well pleases. She's been doing that. She's been doing this for a long time. But just looking at the national side of things, because that's definitely one spot that we just haven't necessarily looked at as much today. But what's kind of what are some teams to kind of keep an eye on in the college in the national rankings that's going to wind up being a big surprise? Well, as far as a surprise, I think that's going to be an interesting question. I mean, some people might argue that LSU is going to be a surprise because nobody's really talking about them. The Cajuns are getting a lot of the national attention. I think there's a legit chance you could have LSU and Louisiana in the Women's College World Series. That's my pick. I've made that pick on the podcast. I think LSU's a sleeper. Another team to bounce, look to bounce back is Oregon. This is year two of Melissa Lombardi. They got some great transfers. All the drama from last year of the departure from the Mike White players and things like that is behind them. I think they're going to have a bounce back year and maybe even be the fourth best team in the Pac-12 and be a team that could be in the bubble to host a regional if things break right for them. I think they're going to have a big bounce back year in that regard. Uh, and I think, but I don't know if there's going to be too many other surprises. 
Uh, you know, there's a team in the American, for example, like a South Florida with Georgina Cork, who's a two-time conference pitcher of the year, has pitched for the Great Britain national team. Can they take that next step? Who is that, you know, and join Louisiana as a, as a legit threat in the postseason? I think James Madison, while they're going to be good, I don't think they're going to be as good as they've been with Megan Good, obviously graduating. There's a team like UCF step and Those are teams that maybe could surprise a little bit under the radar. But as far as the national, like, favorites, to me, Washington's the team to beat coming in. I'm going to see them this week. They're going to be in Florida. They're going to play UCF on Wednesday here in Orlando. And then they're going to be playing at the Elite Invitation on Clearwater, which is a marquee television event. But they are loaded. They've been in the final four, basically, in the Women's College World Series the last couple of years with Gabby playing, their star pitcher. Uh, they got the baby, the best freshman pitcher in the country. I think Washington's the favorite. A lot of people like Alabama as well. Those are two favorites. And then Mike White in Texas, you know, in year two, I think they were ahead of schedule last year. They were a win away from the World Series. So I think in Oklahoma, you can't discount Oklahoma. They're still going to be good, even though they're young. They're still super talented. So I think still... You're going to see the brand names that we've seen the last few years at the top, and it's going to be hard to crack some new faces there. But I do think teams like Oregon, for example, I think could be a sleeper that could bounce back and surprise some people nationally. I know you're out there in Florida. Let's end things on a little bit of a lighter note here. You're rooting for the Vipers in the XFL? (laughs) You know, uh, we'll see if it works Uh, here in Florida. We've always had support for these uh, minor league football leagues, uh, you know, whether it be XFL, the AF last year, uh, you name it, we've had it. The problem is it just doesn't stick around. So um, hopefully they will have uh, money uh, to, uh, you know, help the league. And if nothing else, help uh, Vince McMahon distract himself for a little bit so we can have some good storylines in WWE. So it's a win-win situation, and I hope for the league to uh, do well. So we'll see if it does, though. Eric, appreciate you coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road. Enjoy the softball season. Anytime, buddy. Take care. All right, that was Eric Lopez. You can follow him on Twitter at Eric ELO. No idea if that means Electric Light Orchestra, probably just ELO. I would presume so, but absolutely love talking with him. Some college softball. If there's anybody that you can talk softball with, it's that cat. We're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout, come back with a whole lot more. I got one last take. A little bit early because we're spending the last half hour with Alan Michael talking XFL. We'll be back after this on 103.7 The Game. Every time CD takes the mic, is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Now let's get back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game. And welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game at 103.7thegame.com. Coming to you live, as always, from the 103.7 The Game studios, enjoying what's going on right now in the Acadiana area. A little bit of rain, I think, coming up later today. I know there was a little bit of showers when I left my house to make my way over to the studios to do this show from 9 a.m. to 10.30. LSU basketball coming up in about an hour. Pre-game show at 10.30, tip at 11.00. 
And we're nearing that time of the day. You know, again, we're going to have on Alan Michael for a half hour to talk about the XFL. What's causing all this? The most three, the three most important letters in the world. We're going to talk about that in the next segment. Looking forward to it because, hey, we finally get the, the XFL back in our lives. Football isn't really going away because, again, again, we're talking about all the time how after the season's over, especially after the season that we've had with the Saints going 13 and 3, LSU undefeated. The Cajuns, 11-win season winning in the Lending Tree Bowl. And by the way, I thought we got a chance to look at that trophy up close and personal. It is beautiful. And we're all just sitting here wondering, where's my football? Where's my football? It's in the XFL, and I cannot wait. Some suggest that the NFL stands for the No Fun League. The XFL is going to be the Extra Fun League. But I brought up football. Why don't look take a look back for a minute at the big game this past Sunday? And that's where my one final take goes. Again, it's a little early, but when you've got Al Michael and you've got a half hour, you can't not talk XFL with a man that created an XFL show that now is kind of sort of affiliated with the league. He didn't get a chance to go to Titan Towers, but he's pretty damn close. So we'll get to that final take of hour number one in the entire show right now. Just before we close up shop here on 1037 The Game, the famous CD is looking to fire off one more take before dropping the mic. Is it going to be a hot one, or is it going to be the one that he'd like to take back six months down the road? Let's listen in and find out. Super Bowl 54 was one hell of a ball game, a great finish between two of the best teams. Both teams deserve to get in it. But the big question is... To me, at least, who's the MVP? And to me, Damian Williams should be the MVP in that ball game. Now, why do I say that? I think it's quite simple. You just look at the numbers. 133 total yards, two touchdowns, and one of those touchdowns was the dagger in the heart of the city by the bay and their fan base to where nobody showed up not a damn soul showed up to see that team come back off the tarmac after coming up just short again I'm sitting here right here right now telling you the listener that the XF that the NFL gave it to Pat Mahomes largely because of the fact you always kind of give it to the quarterback is the quarterback got you to this point? Dance with who brung you. But at the, end of the, at the end of the day, for three quarters of that ball game, Pat Mahomes had probably one of the worst games of his young career. He did not look great. He looked like he was frazzled. Looked like he may have been seeing ghosts like a certain Jets quarterback was a while back. He definitely didn't look like the normal self, his normal self. Maybe he had an argument with his girlfriend. I don't know. But again... I stand here before you today presenting the fact that Damian Williams should be and deserves to be the MVP of this ballgame because he helped put this team on his back. But Pat Mahomes wasn't at his best. He had the big touchdown, the big rushing touchdown that put it on ice, baby. This is what I'm talking about right here, right now. I'm telling you, we need to see... Damian Williams get the love that he deserves. He shows himself to be one of the best running backs, and he is the number one running back on that Chiefs roster, helping them get to that win. 
I think he has every chance to really improve his stock. A lot like maybe Raheem Mostert improved his stock a lot over the course of the season. But man, oh man, I was disappointed to see Pat Mahomes get it and not a guy like Damian Williams. So to me, the man was robbed when it comes to that. But again, congrats to the Kansas City Chiefs. Congrats to all the LSU players on that team. And also, former Rage Cajun Eli McGuire, who I mentioned this a while back about trying to get great guests and great content for this show. And I mentioned Kevin Harlan as a bucket list guest. Eli McGuire is on that list as well. He's definitely on that list, and we'll try and get him down the road. Because I, I want to hear some of the stories about the New York Jets, the Cleveland Browns, and how he kept kind of jumping around this season from practice squad to practice squad and landing with those KC Chiefs. But that's what I got for my one final take. When we come back, hour number two, a truncated second hour once again. And we'll be talking a lot of XFL. Make sure to listen in right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Alan Michael, back on the program after this. Played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local, this is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live on 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. Take a walk on the wild side and get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world-famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7 The Game. And welcome, everyone. Hour number two of Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station. 103.7 The Game is now underway. A truncated Half hour of the program, and my goodness, we've got a lot of things to get to. And, you know, I think everybody's kind of felt a little bit of the depression after the football season's over. Everybody's wondering, where's my football? Well, guess what? There's something going on. And you know what? Why don't I have Vince McMahon tell you what's coming up later today? Ladies and gentlemen, this is the XFL! This is the XFL. It is back, and to talk about it, we got to get to the man that's at the center of what's causing all this. Not Vince McMahon, not Overluck, but the host of the This is the XFL show. We're bringing him back for two segments only, and that is our guy, Alan Maggle, host of the This is the XFL show. Alan, what's going on, dude? This is where the power lies. This is the XFL show. You're right. You got it right, Jack. We're at the center of it all since day one-ish. And now I am so hyped to talk about week one of the XFL in my old stomping grounds on 103.7 in the game. This is magical. And you're kind of making your way. You're towards the home stretch of making it over to the first ever XFL or the first ever game of the XFL reboot between the Seattle Dragons and and those D.C. defenders, 
What, what's the vibe out there in, in the nation's capital? Oh, man, this is going to be a, a pretty awesome atmosphere, it feels like. The, you know, the, the D.C. defenders, I think, are going to have a pretty good contingency, and I would, I would bet it lasts all season long because I think the team is going to be good, and when you're good, you usually get fan support, and at least for week one, they're, they're definitely getting it. And the hype is real, man. And it's an awesome stadium here, Audi Field. This is one of the soccer stadiums that's going to be holding one of the XFL teams. So it's the most intimate setting in the league, and I think it's going to look really great for the very first game. That's going to, that's going to be awesome, man. Seeing it in, it's going to be weird though, because but then again, we've seen it all the time with the Los Angeles Chargers. They've just pretty much been stuck in those yeah, but, soccer stadiums. Yeah, but Clint, they're actually going to have fans in this, in this soccer stadium. <laughs> that's that's yeah, yeah. Without a doubt in my mind, they're going to have fans out there. They'll have fans of the D.C. Defenders. I think that's the biggest key there. They have fans out there, but it's more the fans of whoever the L.A. Chargers are playing that particular week. But now we get to see some soccer stadiums get some love. But I think without a doubt, we're going to start off by just looking at way the XFL is being presented. Because if people haven't seen what the XFL is doing, they're taking a revolutionary road with the fact that they're going to be showing those spreads, those over-unders, the stuff that degenerate gamblers like you and me absolutely love. How cool is that to be part of, like, that the XFL show, to be all in on gambling? Yeah, it's pretty It's pretty sweet. We were talking about it on our latest episode, uh, about how the league is totally embracing the sports betting community. You know, they, they're they reading, reading the tea leaves. They know that pretty soon, sooner or later, all across this great nation, uh, the states are going to come to, and sports betting is going to be legal everywhere. It's just a matter of time. It, it's too big an industry, and you know what? It's too fun. So uh, the XFL embracing that and, and incorporating that, allowing it to be incorporated into their product, is, I just think, one of the smartest moves that's being made in terms of the broadcast. And uh, yeah, I'm super interested to see you know everything they do on Fox and ESPN. They're going to be mentioning the lines throughout the game, but also they have some interesting partnerships with DraftKings and FanDuel, and then also uh, VEASAN, where I know you've made some appearances as a guest on the sports betting, uh, uh, you know, serious XM radio show they have. Yeah, on VEASAN, and they they are going to have a, a cool bet cast uh, arrangement with iHeart and with uh, the XFL. So the XFL is really, you know, thinking forward in that regard, uh, and, and there's all sorts of ways for fans to interact, you know, and if you're not into betting or fantasy at all, the awesome thing is you're going to get football and you're going to get it in a unique, different kind of way. Look at us. We were football fans who just started a podcast. The league noticed how, how enthusiastic we were, and now we're on XFL.com each and every episode because they actually do listen to fans. The league, this league is, in terms of their digital department and the media side of things, super innovative and forward-thinking, and that's the most exciting thing to me. Now, you bring up the fact you've been working in conjunction with the XFL, talking right now with, well, I don't need to give him a reintroduction. You know who this is, Alan Magel of the This Is the XFL show. Some might say he's Mr. XFL, but if, I think I think you were actually in the war room for the inaugural XFL draft. Chat me up on what that was like being inside Titan Towers in Stanford, Connecticut, watching the 2020 XFL draft go down. Yeah, so this is the XFL show got invited to the draft, and they gave us our own our own war room at the draft headquarters. It was across the street from Titan Towers, but I wasn't actually in 
the, the house that McMahon built. Did I you mean, even get to, like, street. walk in there? No, I saw it from uh, across the street. Oh, come I, on. Our room was right across. I saw it. It was magical. But, yeah, uh, the, the XFL draft felt historic. It felt like you were we – were, we were fans, in, you know, doing the podcast and just interviewing everyone from the league throughout the week and just hearing them – watching them work and then just having them on the show and hearing, like, their enthusiasm as football nerds. I mean, that's the people don't realize, you know, this is Vince McMahon who is putting it together. But the people who are like doing the legwork for the XFL are football people through and through. I mean, what true football nerds who care about the sport so much, I think a lot of them would, would sacrifice, make the ultimate sacrifice for the game. These guys love football. These, these these women love football, working behind the scenes with the XFL. Guys like Sam Schwartzstein, who's the director of football operations, I mean, he, the time he's taken to put together the rule book and, and all the research and development, his department, and then you have Doug Whaley, who really helped put that draft together, which was huge, 70, plus, 70 rounds plus the assigned quarterbacks. I mean, these guys care immensely about the sport, and that's what makes me feel good about the league's prospects, is that this isn't a gimmick this time. This is true football being put together by football people along with all the bells and whistles you get when you talk about a Vince McMahon injury. I think the fact that they managed to spend like two years developing the idea of the XFL from the commissioner, how the draft's going to be handled, how they're going to how the rules are going to become how the rules are going to come together, the different franchises they're going to be a part of and the different team names. I think everything about the way they they learn from a lot of their mistakes instead of being like, oh hey, one year from today we're going to have an XFL league. They waited for two years to get everything set up in place. That way they can maximize their potential in terms of success and maybe right some of the wrongs that the AAFL did last year. Oh, yeah. The, the AAF was it was kind of hilarious to watch it all come together, even though like I enjoyed watching the football games. But just seeing their, their business end, they just didn't have it together. And you see the XFL – you go to an XFL game, I promise you, you're going to feel like you're at a professional football game in terms of how everything is presented and handled. And I went down to Houston for training camp and just seeing the people, I mean, tons, uh, uh, the amount of humanity, we, when we recapped that training camp, of people working behind the scenes and on the field, on the coaching staffs, with the teams, I mean, just all the people working together to put the league together, that's what makes you think, okay, they got a shot. Because with the AAF, for instance, or the original XFL, it was all slapped together. You know, it was it was patchwork here and there. It was cut in corners. It was, you know, taking things for granted, and none of that is really happening. Two years of prep, well-thought-out process, tons of market research, you know, the, the boring stuff to you and me, but really that important stuff that makes them, you know, have well-educated decisions. All that has gone into this weekend, week one of the XFL, four awesome games, on, on TV, on stations, everybody gets Clint. Everybody can easily watch the XFL this weekend. I'm loving it. I'm loving it as well, Alan. And, of course, right now, Alan Michael, host of the This Is The XFL Show. And, you know, before you take a quick timeout, because I've got a lot of more questions, and, you know, you brought it up perfectly with the AAF. Over the summer, I was at SEC Media Days, and I actually got an opportunity to talk with a former AAF coach, the uncrowned champion in Steve oh, yeah. Spurrier. And he mentioned basically that it's like they assumed they had enough money, and basically he's like, you know what happens when they, when they say assume, right? And basically <laughs> you kind of figure it out right there, and they assume that. 
And honestly, he even mentioned like he'd be more than flexible to be a head coach in the XFL down the road if there's expansion. And you know that I think that's my next question is, will there be expansion after this season, depending on what kind of success they'll have? I, I mean, I with with no actual insight in, into you know the plans. I would guess just if if there is uh, you know a huge interest throughout the season and growth in terms of ratings and and engagement online and of course financially for the league, most important financially for the league. Yeah, I, I would I would put my money on on a couple of teams being added because why not? The more the merrier. But that of course all hinges on the season and. At what point do they make that decision? I don't know. I would hope. I would hope, though, that you don't expand after year one. Personally, I like the fact you know that you have these original eight teams, and if you give them time to develop their stuff, their fan bases, their reckon their recognizability, you know that then I think that'll help with the other teams coming on in the future. So personally, I'm hoping against expansion after year one plus. It's fun. In the NHL, you always talk about the original six. We've got the original XFL eight. Hopefully one day we're talking about like 30 teams in this league. But for now, I like the eight. And I, I don't want to – I hope they're not thinking about expansion. I'm hope, hoping that's far down the, uh, the agenda for Oliver Luck and company because they have other fish to fry when it comes to, to wrapping up this season. Um, they're just getting this thing started. And most importantly, is having good games interest all season long. I think because it's – sport of football and because they're putting it together the right way they're going to get that because it's just it's natural this is america it's football people will watch and they're going to be talking about it on 1037 the game with you well definitely me i'll definitely be talking about it quite a bit but you know before we kind of take that break i you kind of led me down the water towards one more question about expansion let me just say this you need to put a bug in your ear for oliver luck to bring the xfl to the heart of cajun country Cajun Field is just wide open for the picking. You know how great that you know they'd wind up getting tons of fans over at Cajun Field. Maybe more than you get during Cajun football games these days. Yeah, I, I mean, I would, I would love to see that personally, Clint. Um, I'll, I'll draw, you know, I'll, I'll put it into Oliver Luck if I run into him when I'm running around DC or here this weekend. Are you going to bump into him? I mean, I, you know, me and Oliver Luck, we go way back. Two friend years, friend of the program, <laughs> friend of the program, and. uh no, yeah, I mean, the, the cities for expansion will be interesting because they did start with giant, you know, pretty pretty big markets, most of them, uh, all eight of these teams. I'd say St. Louis probably. Uh, but, you know, when they do expand, if they ever do, you know, thinking ahead, I, you know, I'd love to see some of those markets that don't get the professional sports love uh, incorporated, but still a long ways away. We got games to talk about, Quinn. Who who? Who you got? I can't wait till we get back from your break because I want to know what you think about this weekend. I made my picks on the podcast, and I am ready to defend them. All right, we're going to get to that in a little bit, Alan. Perfect segue. We're going to take a quick timeout, come back, and break down these week one matchups. We're talking XFL right here on 103.7 The Game at 103.7thegame.com under the dome with CD back after this.
Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game, 103.7thegame.com. Enough about the rules. Enough about the spreads. Let's get right down to brass tacks and get down to what's going on with the XFL. Week number one, of course, joined alongside our friend of the program, friend of the station in general, our good friend, Alan Magle, host of the This is the XFL show, formerly host of the Alan Michael Show, middays here, or mid-mornings actually, 9 to 11 right here on 103.7 The Game. Al Maggle, what do you? What's the most? What's the one game you're most looking forward to tonight? Oh well, the, of the two games for the for the first slate for Saturday, I, I'm intrigued by DC and Seattle because I, I think they both have interesting uh, contrasts. I think Seattle. I mean, just kind of guessing by looking at the depth chart and what I got to see, uh, you know, on the practice fields in Houston, is more of a running team, more of a, a mid-range. Uh, for passing team, whereas D.C., I think, can let it swing, go deep. It's a team that's going to fly around. Also, we'll have a good running game. I'm hoping Nick Rosette gets some playing time with the D.C. defenders, although he's listed low on the depth chart. But I like the contrast. The L.A.-Houston game later tonight is going to be really good, too, I think, because L.A. has a bunch of great players on defense. But I don't know if they match up well with Houston because Houston's going to spread it out. L.A.'s a lot of linebackers and defensive linemen. But of the two games today, D.C., and Seattle is the one I'm hyped for. It is the first game, too, Clint. And then tomorrow, oh, my goodness, New York and Tampa Bay don't get me started. We'll get to that in a little bit, but let's just start off looking at the Seattle Dragons and D.C. defenders. For me, I think I've got to go with those D.C. defenders. The home field advantage is going to loom large. You know the city of Washington, D.C. wants to see a franchise that doesn't associate themselves with one Dan Snyder and two AM. Less than ideal terminology for Native <laughs> Americans in the D.C. defenders. Who you got in that one? Oh, I'm picking D.C. all the way, too, because, I mean, let's face it. This is, I mean, two, if, if anyone in this in this stadium today has been waiting, the, the two years I've been waiting, the angst, the, the anticipation, the hype, they're not going to be able to contain it. They're going to be going berserk. So the home field will be there for the team. And also, mat- matchup-wise, I think D.C., is better on paper than Seattle, so I'm picking D.C. Cardell Jones, I think, has so many receivers. Eli Rogers, Rashad Ross. He's going to be able to just sling it all over the field if he wants to. He's got a huge cannon. I'm looking for them to go deep a whole lot. And for Seattle, I'm, I'm interested to see Jim Zorn returning to Washington where he had a rough go of it in the NFL as a head coach, too. So I think all that compounded onto the Seattle Dragons. is not going to make for a good week one for them. I got D.C., too. But y'all been bad-mouthing uh, Brandon Silver's former Troy Trojan. If I'm not mistaken, he was the man that slayed the Tiger yeah, of LSU. Well, how can y'all, how can y'all bad-mouth, bad-mouth the man that is known as Brandon Silver's? I mean, this is what he does. He proves doubters wrong, Brandon Silver's. So, you know, if, in the AAF even, he was a low man on the total pole, and he beat out Johnny Manziel, Zach Mettenberger, and he ended up the starter there. And he beat LSU once upon a time in a huge victory for Troy. So he goes in there with a chip on his shoulder for sure of all the assigned quarterbacks in the XFL. But that being said, I don't know about the weapons he has. I just like D.C.'s offense that much better. And if this is going to be a high-scoring league, Clint, I'm going to always be picking every week, I think, the team with a better offense. And that's D.C. in this one, in my opinion. You always got to pound the over, Allen. That's one thing I've learned, especially when you look at the XFL, especially with those 
one, two, three-point attempts. Go for three. Go, Go for three. Go for three, indeed. But now we're going to flip it over to the 5 o'clock game, Eastern time, of course, 4 o'clock Central, is the L.A. Wildcats and the Houston Roughnecks. Houston Roughnecks. Does, does no, no, this, no, 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 no. Does it have the same no. ring to it? it? No, and also you know that each team has their own theme song. That I love yesterday. that. I love that. Yeah. Is is yeah, the so CFOs going to make those two? No, no. These I, I, <laughs> I don't know who they commissioned for these songs, but they are. It's probably CFOs. I, I, some are better than others, and I'll tell you. I think H Town got the best theme song. Is Paul I, Wall a part of it? My first listen. Is Paul Wall a part of it? I don't think Paul Wall's on that track. No. Then it, I, it's I, not the best. <laughs> well, it's good. It's good. You should definitely take a listen. And in the game, L.A. and Houston, I mean, these two teams are going to be good this season. It's an interesting matchup because, uh, again, contrast, June Jones, everyone knows the run and shoot. You spread it out, you throw it deep, you run it down their throat. And L.A. matching up against the run, yeah, but against the pass. People have been talking about their DBs might be a question mark, so that's one thing to look out for in the game. Also, you got to look out for a uh, trash can. Somebody might be banging on it and determine what kind of play <laughs> there's going to be. But um, uh, let's flip over to Sunday, where I think we got a lot of a pair of really fun ball games with the Tampa Bay Vipers and the New York Guardians. You're hyped up for that one. Why don't you give oh, us man. a look at that one? Well, also, Clint, just so you know, FYI, I'll be driving up to that game as well. I, oh, I'm, I'm way too hyped. I'm way too hyped to just go to one game this weekend. So I'm making the journey from D.C. to New York to see the Guardians and the Vipers in that game. I think that's going to be the closest game of the weekend because I saw the Guardians practice up close. They've got, I mean, just all kinds of dudes on uh, in the defensive secondary. Their, their defensive backs, I I think they compete with each other so hard. I, I, it's hard to pick which guy's going to have the most interceptions on this team. But I think that as a unit, they'll have a lot. And then for Tampa Bay, Mark Tressman's offense, I've expected big things because, you know, some say he might be the best coach in this league. He's got three great cups under his belt. He coached the Bears, and he has Aaron Murray, an all-time SEC quarterback. Uh, and, you know, with what he can do, and also even his backups are pretty good, and Quentin Flowers and Taylor Cornelius, uh, the quarterback situation is very nice for the Tampa Bay Vipers. And then on offense, you just got to believe a Mark Tressman offense is going to be uh, a good offense and well balanced, but so will Kevin Gilbride. Kevin Gilbride is, you know, a lot of people when he was with the Giants said, "Oh, his offenses are kind of boring." I always thought they were kind of balanced, and he just played to his strengths. And with this team, he has a lot of guys at receiver who I think could get down the field. And then he's got thumpers at running back. He's got Tim Cook played at Oregon State. This guy can get across the goal line at will. And then they've got this little bully. But this guy's like five foot seven. Darius Victor. Look out for him. He's a running back for the Guardians as well, who's going to be fun to watch. I think he could get out in space and truck some guys. And I'm picking the Guardians in this game, not just because they're the home team, but I think they match up well, and I think they're going to be able to take the top off the Tampa Bay defense a little bit more. Look out for Matt McGloin. If he can be accurate, I think the Guardians win the game. Alan, one, though. Alan, thank you so much. We're running out of time. Thanks for this good, crisp interview. We'll talk to you down the road, brother. Peace be the journey, Clint. I love all my family at 1037 The Game. All right, that was Alan Michael. You can follow him at Alan Michael Show. Of course, follow them at This Is The XFL Show. And we are out of here. Have a great rest of your 
Saturday afternoon. LSU basketball taking on Auburn next. Hey, Clavis, wake up. The show's over. Oh, yeah. Kick it.